You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about another disability podcast that I think you'll love. The disability community is not a monolith. Within the community, there's people of different views, beliefs, and identities. And each individual person with a disability has a story to tell. And that's why we're here. Our podcast, You First by Disability Rights Florida, features firsthand interviews with disabled guests, scholars, and advocates covering a wide variety of disability-related issues. We have episodes on voting access, mental health, ableism in academia, disability and reproductive justice, disabled art, accessible video gaming, and much more. Our goal? To have you take away a new perspective on disability and bring awareness and insight to the world around you. You can listen to our latest episodes wherever you're listening now or visit us at disabilityrightsflorida.org forward slash podcast to learn more and find transcripts of all of our episodes. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Andrew here, and I have a very special announcement for my Toronto-based listeners. So if you're in Toronto, get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and listen up. Friends, I am so excited to share with you a new project that I've been working on for the past couple of years that's finally coming out this Pride season. Let me tell you all about it. So, I've been working on this new play called Access Me, and it's all about queerness, sexuality, and disability, and I'm so excited to bring it to Toronto this Pride season. Let me tell you what the... Let me read to you what the show description says. I'll read it to you right now. So the show description says, A queer disability sex-positive performance. Access Me is provocative, intimate, and hot. 
a fun, sexy, and all-access exploration of the lived experience of three queer disabled men featuring creators and performers Andrew Gerza, Frank Hall, and Ken Harrower. Audience are invited to join these three charismatic performers for a personal exploration and public celebration of queer sexuality and disability. In Access Me, Andrew, Frank, and Ken have come together to create a space where we can all speak to experiences that rarely, if ever, are seen on stage. Expect to connect on a new level at this intimate and interactive performance. Be ready for a fun time as the theater transforms into an all-access dance club just in time for Pride. Friends, I am so thrilled to be sharing this with you. I've been working on it with these awesome performers for the last eight years, if you can believe it. We've been workshopping this and doing sessions every summer. And finally, finally, we're able to bring it to to the stage in Toronto. And I cannot wait to share it with you. Now, let me give you all the deets on where you can get tickets for this great show. Performances run from June 16th to 24th at the Aki Studio in the Daniel Spectrum Building in Toronto, Ontario. Obviously, be in Toronto, or if you're listening and you're outside of Toronto and you want to come for a cool Pride trip to watch a show all about sex and disability, come on to the city. It'll be a great time. You can get your tickets at www.accessme.squarespace.com We also have performances that feature ASL and audio description as well. So we're doing our best to make the show as accessible as possible. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this episode started, shall we? Just before we dive into the guest today, who I'm really excited to talk to, I just want to give a shout out to anybody who listens to my show and who is thinking about sending me a press kit for having a guest because I feel like I'm getting this a lot more recently. I'm getting folks who who are not at all related to disability and they want to talk to me on the show. And I have to, I feel like I should stress, the show is called Disability After Dark. So your guest that you're pitching your PR bundle about needs to have some relation to disability and I need to be able to tie it back to disability somehow or else they're not a good fit. So if you're thinking about pitching me a guest to be on the show, it needs to be related to disability. I love having all folks on the show um, and I love talking to non-disabled folks on the show as well, but I want to tie it back to disability. So please consider that before pitching yourself to be on the show. I'm also going to do a bunch more episodes about different disabilities and different conditions and just do, remember that series that I did a while back called What's Your Condition? Where I look at different disabilities like 
Like, what did I look at? I looked at um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I looked at cerebral palsy and a few others as well. I haven't done one of those types of episodes where I do research in a while, and I'm going to be doing more of that. So let me know by emailing me at andrew at com or disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Let me know which disabilities and conditions you want me to do a deep dive into and to do, to do some research about. Because I really like learning about not only the conditions and disabilities, but also how they're framed by the media and by scientists and by doctors. And then talking about that too. So let me know which disabilities you want me to cover in a what's your condition type episode. But now, on to the show. On the show today, I sit down with my new friend, Ben Matlin. He's an author and he is somebody living with SMA. And I talk with him about his new book called Disability Pride, Dispatches from a Post-ADA World. And I really liked talking with him about this book and why he wrote it. And we talk about in the episode how he wanted to write a book about the world 30 years post-ADA. And he wanted to reconnect with his cryptum and his um, disability community more. Because he felt, you know, as a white, cisgendered, disabled man, straight disabled man, he really wasn't connecting with the new generation of disabled people out there. And I really, really love that he wanted to learn more and he wanted to grow more. So we talk about his great book, Disability Pride. We talk about what Disability Pride means for him. We talk about the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, of course, and how we think the ADA and other laws like it should be changing to suit the new world we live in. Um, Plus so much more. It was really cool to sit down with him and chat with him and, and talk with him about why he wanted to put a book called Disability Pride out into the world. Because, you know, those are two words on their face, Disability Pride, that tend not to go together very much outside of the disability community. So I think it was really cool that he put them together. And I'm really, really honored to be talking about his book on this episode. So enough of my rambling. Without further ado, here is my interview with author Ben Matlin of the new book, Disability Pride, right here on Disability After Dark. Ben Matlin, hello. Hi. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm great, how are you? Good. I'm so happy to finally have you on the show. We've we've been dancing around having you on the show now for a couple months. So yeah, I am so happy you're finally. We're finally doing it. We're finally sitting down, and we were going to do it a couple of weeks ago, and then my body said no. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad we're finally here. Thank you so much for being here and sitting down with me. Um, you are going to talk to us today about an awesome book he wrote all about disability pride and what that means for you. But before we jump into that, for anybody who doesn't know who Ben Matlin is and who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Oh, sure. Uh, uh, well, uh, I am a 60-year-old old white guy uh, born with spinal muscular atrophy. 
type two for those who are counting. Uh, so I, I, I've uh, never walked, never stood, lifelong wheelchair user. Me too. Oh, Me I too. have a uh, cool. Uh, I could go on about that. Anyway, I was uh, born and raised in New York. Uh, uh, really very fortunate, privileged, you might say. My parents insisted that I go to regular schools at a time when that was kind of unheard of. Uh, they yeah. fought for that. And uh, when I was, uh, well, when I graduated from college, my uh, I, I uh, headed off in a more or less accessible van, cargo van, uh, uh, with a rickety ramp on. Oh, I guess it had a, a lift. Anyway, uh, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we've been living in L.A. for, oh, Lord, it's 30-some years. Raised two daughters. Two daughters and a variety of pets. And I I, uh, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but I I liked writing, and I could sort of do it. I mean, if I it was sedentary, I, I I thought, but in those days, you know, I couldn't really type or, or interact with a computer uh, uh, well enough, fast enough to get a uh, a job in in publishing or communications. Boy, was I excited when you know Dragon when Voice. Voice of text oh, yeah. first came out. Wow. And that changed my life. Uh, but I, you know, I did, I, I got occasional assignments and I, I, I began submitting on spec uh, essays on disability issues. Uh, anyway, I'm now a, uh, a senior writer for Financial Advisor magazine. Uh, I've learned a lot about finance over the years. Uh, so I write about that. That's sort of one side of me. And the other side, I write a lot about disability stuff. Really, well, sometimes opinion pieces, and other times as a journalist. Uh, uh, my new book, my third book, is called Disability Pride Dispatches from a post-ADA world. And I, I wrote it because, well, you know, I, I, I remember it very well, a time before the ADA, but that's more than 30 years ago already. And I realized, uh, you know, having gotten married and raised kids, uh, i I've been... Uh, <laughs> involved in my personal life a lot, and I lost touch with the disability community. You know, I was involved in trying to get the ADA passed and stuff, but I kind of lost touch. So I wanted to reacquaint myself, and I interviewed as many trips as I could, uh, preferably those kind of under 40, to, to reflect on their lives post-ADA. And while I couldn't actually 
interview somebody I, you know, look up their blog posts and other interviews they've done, it's kind of a snapshot of the community as I understand it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it kind of helped me connect with what's been going on, I, you know, I think. Uh, hope I got it right. Um, I just want to add, I was concerned about oh, seeming to, you know, to talk for others or explain people who are perfectly capable of explaining themselves. So as much as possible, I, you know, I, I, I did not, I kept myself out of it. I, I tried to to put in what other people were saying and, and writing and uh, sort of create a, a, a platform so that other people, uh, uh, you know, have the have the floor, have the page, uh, and 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 create a, a an opportunity to get some of those voices out there, uh, get some more folks. Yeah, uh, and you did the introduction. <laughs> well, that's all right. That's all right. Um, you kind of answered. You kind of answered like two or three of the questions in that introduction, but we'll go deeper into that in a second. Um, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Don't even worry about it. It's all good. I like it when my guests like to talk a lot because I can just listen. So it's great. Um, but you, 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 you did a really good job of giving the other people in the book a page. As you say, you really kind of stepped back. And it was very, what I liked about it was it was very journalistic. It was very like, here's this person. Here's what they do. They're awesome. And you kind of give give a snapshot of who they are, what they do around disability, and like disability pride. And then you let the reader decide if they want to follow up with them or get to know more about them or follow their work. And I think that's really cool. I tried. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, thirty years ago, uh, uh, Joe Shapiro's book, uh, No Pity, came out, and it became kind of a, I don't know. A standard in uh, disability studies or explaining the disability rights movement as it was at that point. Yeah. Uh, he's a great journalist. He's been a great uh, friend to and champion of your disabled folks, but he's not disabled. And and so I I felt, even though I tried to be, as you say, journalistic and kind of stay out of it personally, you know, it's all a bit, I suppose, uh, huh, slanted, is that the word I want? You know, informed by my perspective as as the fellow cripple, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reporting on people often very different from me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not autistic. I'm not a person of color. I'm not queer. But uh, yeah, I am disabled. I hope that I hope that commonality helped me to present people fairly. I and I think you know, in reading the book, I think because you highlight queer disabled people and people of color who are disabled and um, a bunch of different identities, because you're using your privilege as white 
disabled person to highlight that, I think that's really, really important because you're saying, I don't want to be the center of this. I want to use my, use my platform to, to lend it to someone else. And I think that you, the fact that you did this in, in the book is really important because it highlights that we all have to do that. We all Thank have you. to, mm-hmm. we all have to take a step back a little bit and be like, yep, my disability is important too, but there are other people that need, need the spotlight. And I think you did that really masterfully in the book. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I really wanted to. And uh, if someone had to read it and go, nah, you messed up, let me know. You know, I, I, I want to hear it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the fact that you're open to those conversations is so, so key. And the, the, the flow of the book, too, was it was a really easy read. It was really, very, and I don't mean easy like you didn't put any work in it. I just mean it flowed nice. And it was really, um, it, it wasn't full of too many, like, tough concepts to get around. It was very, 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 um. Just an e- I found it a really easy read, and I like that because sometimes, sometimes you read disability textbooks, and they're great and they have important info in them, but they're so dense and there's so much stuff that you get bogged down with it a little bit. And so this was not like that. But this was great. Super. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I want to back up a little bit because you told us at the beginning you have SMA, and I have had friends with spinal muscular atrophy before. So, but I know how it affects everybody who lives with it differently. So can you share with us, Ben, how your spinal muscular atrophy um, plays a role in your life and just anything you want to share about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, You're right. It's a funny thing. I I feel like, I feel like SMA is almost an umbrella term because everybody I know with it is, it's different, you know. Uh, it's so broad, really. Even though they talk about the different types and all that, it's still it's still pretty pretty diverse. Um, yeah. So I said I, I've never walked or stood. I'm a a lifelong wheeler, and uh, uh, surely, I mean, this has informed my whole life. It has not defined my life entirely, but partially. Uh, and, you know, as I say, it was, uh, I, I certainly faced discrimination in school. Uh, I don't know all that because my parents were involved. But I know sort of from, I don't know, high school, college age on. Uh, uh, and, uh, for instance, I, I started college way back in 1980, which was the first year under Section 504 of the Rehab Act of 1973, uh, that federally funded institutions had to be accessible. So that was the first year a lot of colleges suddenly said, oh, wow, what are, what are we going to do? Uh, I had one, one college that uh, told me I was accepted before I even applied uh, because, you know, they had to 
prove that they were not discriminating. At least I assume that's why. Oh, uh, so you hit uh, their quota. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, uh, my school, uh, you made sure I had to like pre-register for classes so they could be put in buildings that I could get into. Um, I had to occupy the dorm room that the only other previous quad had occupied, uh, a guy who was already admitted and then had a spinal cord accident. Uh, <laughs> I was one of the first admitted with a disability like mine. Anyway, I was in the quad room, as it were. Uh, I was very isolated. I was not allowed to have roommates and a lot of the social halls were not accessible. Um, and I, I, and I can not, imagine, you know, going to college in the 80s, like, and needing so much access. Like, when I went to college, it was 20 years after you. Yeah. So, like, uh, there was more there was more stuff there, but I can imagine going to college, like, as a severely disabled person in the 80s, like, that's, there's so much, like, stuff you need that they didn't have back then. Yeah. And you know what it does, but uh, you, you do, uh, you do get this internalized ableism where you, oh, you try to hide your disability, which of course is yeah. absurd, because uh, I'm in a motorized wheelchair and I, you know, <laughs> I look a little funny, I guess. So, but I thought I could pass. Uh, but really afterward, applying for jobs, and nobody was hiring me. That surprised me. Uh, kind of facing the world as an adult, you know, uh, without my parents yeah, yeah. to fight for me or whatever. That was kind of a shock, particularly because, uh, you know, I had some uh, uh, clippings, tear sheets, as we used to call them, from uh, stuff I'd written for student publications. And I had editors would read that, and they would hire me to write as a freelancer. You know, they like my work enough to hire it. They just didn't want me around the office. Couldn't figure out how oh, to Oh, no. That. That's horrible. That's uh, so weird. So I mean, much. they didn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how it was for many, many years. Uh, I, you know, I had a lot of free time. I tried to write books. And they never got published until 10 years ago. Now, you know, I presume my writing ability got better. But I think also, I think the world changed. I think, and this is part of what I cover in the new book, uh, I think the, a lot of the the gatekeepers of media, book publishers and uh, modeling agencies and casting directors and, and on and on have realized finally, hey, 
there is a disability market. People, you know, are interested in this. Uh, and, you know, for the last 10 years, I've had three books published. I don't think it would have been possible 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. Very, very, I mean, there were few, but very few. And they were, they were all, oh, you know, the overcomer type memoirs. I mean, some of them are very good, but there was very little, maybe zero, uh, uh, kind of awareness of disability community or as a social political uh, uh, movement, you know. Uh, I think a lot has changed. Yeah, and I would I would agree. I think, you know, we're still at this weird stage of like things are changing. Yeah. And you highlight some of that in the book, but also like there's so much more we have to do. And there's, I think we have to um, look at some of the media that's been put out about disability, even in 2023 and be like, okay, who, who produced this? Why did this, who said yes to this? Why was this green light? Where was the disability coordinator on this like why did no one double check this to make sure it wasn't super overcoming because I agree with you there are a lot of stories about overcoming the barriers and being a superhero and all that stuff and that doesn't for me personally that doesn't really resonate with me um, mm-hmm. so it was nice to see like it's nice to talk to you and know that that also doesn't really resonate with you yeah yeah it still happens quite a lot, and it's, uh, huh, if nothing else, it's a cliche. Come on, let's get some original, authentic stories out there. Uh, we need more of them. There are a few, there are a few that get through now, but uh, we need more. I agree. Um, one of the things that I didn't write down, but I heard you say, you mentioned a minute ago when we were talking, you said, you know, you identified yourself as a, you, know, you said the word cripple. And I love that word because it's what, how I used to, it's what I used to describe myself. I wonder what does that word mean for you and why do you use it personally? You know, it, it's, uh, <clears throat> I, I, it, it, it's a word that seems to shock non-disabled people, but I think most of us uh, feel connected to it. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it connects you to the community and to uh, an attitude. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. My, my 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 first book when I was drafting it, I wanted to call it Wonder Cripple or Wonder Crip. I was gonna call it. And people that read it were like, No, don't do that. You know, and then what last year, two years ago we had Crip Camp. I mean the word is people it, it signifies something now I think that is sort of understood. But not that long ago, it was a, a no-no, you know. 
And it's yeah. still there's some context, of course. But I think as long as we say it and our allies, uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. Yeah, I agree with you about the shock value part. I certainly use it as a a means when I do talks, when I when I talk about my life <clears throat> and my and I do presentations. I'm constantly saying I'm going to use the word career and cripple today. Um, <laughs> and people yeah, are always like career, you know, right? just kind yeah. of like the word career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I so I put those two words together, knowing full well that what I'm saying is going to shock somebody. But I love that because it means that they're gonna they're gonna pay attention to me. Um, right, right. They're listen to what I have to say after I say I'm a queer cripple. They're gonna go, oh no, that's such a scary word. But then they're gonna listen <laughs> to what I talk about afterwards. All right. Um. So I I love I also I really like when people just kind of use it in everyday conversation because it means oh they get it okay they're one of they're one of us they understand cool cool great. Um. Um. So one of the things I love in the book when I was reading it, you and I think it's so important that we talk about this, you outline kind of the legal triumphs of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and you kind of juxtapose them with the glaringly obvious holes of the act and the issues that we still have to fix, even though the act is some 30-some years old. Um, For those who maybe don't know what the ADA is, um, although I'm sure everybody listening here does know what it is, but can you talk to us more about the ADA and outline where you feel the ADA and other laws like it should be heading and why we're not going there? Sure. Um, the big question, I know. It's a big, it's a big one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of in the beginning of my, of my book. I felt I had to lay the groundwork of what the the law is and is not. Uh, 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 to write it in a way that's not too boring, I hope, uh, because it, it, it's a it's a very comprehensive civil rights law, you know. I mean, it covers, particularly as it's been interpreted over the years, a, you know, a broad a spectrum of disabilities and the perception of disabilities and anybody you know in your family who is is affected by by discrimination because of a disability i mean because of a a loved one's disability it's very broad you know it covers employment and public accommodations and communication systems, but <laughs> uh, first of all, it does the biggest not cover... but in the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> a big but. Uh, uh, it, it does not cover airlines, which is a real irritant for people like me because you oh, know, yeah, airplanes are really inaccessible. I can get on a bus more easily than an airplane. Uh, it would just cover uh, insurance uh, is not covered so you could be discriminated against by, you know, if you want life insurance or whatever and it was health insurance until Obamacare uh, and even still there's some anyway uh, but beyond that one of the big 
problems is that nobody's going to get a ticket for an ADA violation. Uh, you have to yeah. have been wronged and take them to court. Puts a lot of responsibility on us. And as we know, those of us, those cripples who do take places to court, you know, you know they're called uh, all kinds of names. They're abusing it. They're, they're trying to make money off of it. They're, you know, it, 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 you take on a lot when you uh, attempt to enforce the ADA. So it is yeah. not well enforced. And it's, uh, you know, it kind of shifts the responsibility for enforcement onto, you know, sort of after the fact, after you've been discriminated against, uh, then you have to make the effort to, to, you know, to bring a case, uh, take them to court. So that that's unfair. Also, uh as they say, you can't legislate attitudes. And about, what, 15, 16 years after the ADA, a group of Crips, uh, mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area, but elsewhere, uh, put together an idea they call disability justice, which in part says that, you know, the law is great, but it's not enough, and it, it does not address. Uh, it, it, it leaves out a lot of people. In fact, the yeah. disability rights movement up to that point was very much centered on, well, on white cisgender men mostly, uh, yeah. and uh, particular emphasis, I think, on wheelchair users maybe deaf people, you know, but, but it wasn't a broad spectrum and you know, did not address uh, intersectionality and, and uh, well, I could go on and on. But anyway, uh, so the ADA is great, but it, it doesn't go far enough. Yeah, I feel the same way. We have a law here in Ontario where, I'm, where I live yes. in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we have a law called the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. It's called the AODA, and we have it here. And it it was created in 2005, so just about 18 years ago. And it was designed with the with the hope that by 2025, so in two years from now, that all of the province would be accessible. And we are so far behind that goal. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. We're so far behind. And similarly to what you say with the ADA, we also don't have anybody enforcing the Ontarians with mm. Disabilities Act here in Ontario. So I agree with you. Many of these laws, I feel like the problem is that they look great on paper and they look like the the city or province or country is doing something really great and they're trying something on paper. But then when you get down to the reality of everyday life, they're not actually doing what they claim to be doing because mm-hmm. they don't have teeth. And I feel like that that's what we need to be heading, I think. I think, and you can you can chime in with your thoughts. But I think that we should be hiring disabled folks to be enforcement officers, not in like a scary enforcement way, but be like, hey, look, I went into your to your to your 
office and I noticed that your office doesn't have this and this and this. Let me give you suggestions to make to make that happen. And if you don't do it in, in six months, we are going to have to find you. Like, nothing mm. scary, but, you know. Oh, it could be a little bit people... scary. I wouldn't mind being scary, you know. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. <sighs> it could also be scary. I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm okay with that. Um, but, you know, I think giving disabled people jobs to, like, enforce that, because we're always mm. looking for work. We're always trying to find jobs. And right. if I could be at eight, like an ADA enforcement officer and know that I could make enough money to be okay by literally ensuring that everywhere I'm, where I'm living is accessible. Mm-hmm. Like how cool would that be? And I think that's where we need to be going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I may, I think you touched on a couple of things. That it, it seems to me that a lot of the folks who are, in charge of any kind of office to do with accessibility or disability inclusion, <laughs> they're often not disabled. You know, yeah. it's just crazy. Uh, I should I shouldn't use crazy that way, but you know what I mean. Uh, but also, we'll say think, that we'll say that you said we'll say you said silly there. You, it's silly. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's better. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, yeah, I think a lot of folks, maybe mostly non-disabled folks, think that, you know, the ADA and other laws like it, you know, they're nice. You know, they're good for those people who who, who have suffered so. They don't realize we're talking about rights, you know, Uh this isn't a question of charity. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. It's stuff that's deserved and only fair. Stuff that yeah, everybody exactly. wants. I mean, anybody yeah. would want equal access, for goodness sake. And they don't realize, I think, and something that I talk a lot of, about a lot in my work, is they don't realize, I think, that one day that this will become these laws will become something that they have to look deeper into yes. because they will become disabled themselves. So this isn't just mm-hmm. a nice thing that we're doing for the disabled folks that don't affect you. We're do- actually doing it for you. We're doing it for your future. Mm-hmm. Better for everybody, yes. And I wish that the law the law would be more... When they talk about the law and, and they you know write the preambles and all those things, I wish they would say like, this isn't just for disabled folks. This is for you when you right. become a disabled folk tomorrow. This is it's for you. Yes, yes, quite right. And it's a it's a shame that we don't do that. And I I mean I think that's where we need to be headed. Um, um. So in the book, in Disability Pride, which I recommend you all pick up right now wherever you get your books because it's really good and it's a necessary read. And I'm telling all you listeners who are listening right now who are not disabled to go pick it up. Um, I like that. Because <laughs> it's in all formats. Uh, mostly all formats. Are I you mean, thinking there's... about doing an audiobook? Oh, there is an audiobook. Yeah, oh, there, there is. is. There, is there, there is not yet a, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, you know, the, the, the... simple language uh, format. 
that's not out yet, but but there is an audio and of course ebook. Oh, good, good. And the paperback is coming in uh, November, I believe. Well, all of you folks out there, pick it up because it's an, it's a necessary read. But we're not done yet. We have a lot more to go to. Um, so in the book, you talk to a bunch of my friends and people that I know and follow and support. You talk to some really great disability leaders about what disability pride is. So you talk to my friend Emily Ladau, Shane Burkaw, and some really cool other folks. And one of the things that I like that you mentioned in the book, and you really tried to do a fair representation here, one of the things you mentioned is that some people don't have disability pride. Some people don't see their disability as something to have pride over. And I think that was important to highlight those things. Because I think in a lot of disability spaces, we are met with a lot of toxic positivity about how like, oh yeah, you can do anything, don't worry about it. And so it was nice to see that you talked about pride and being proud of your disability, but also people who were like, I'm not proud of it at all. It sucks and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Like I really think that putting those two communities together and showing them back to back was important. And I like that you you feature that in there. Um, I want to know how, for you, Ben, how do you feel about respect to disability pride within yourself? Like what brings you disability pride? Good question. You know, as I, as I mentioned before, back in all the days, I, you know, I tried to, I thought I could pass, you know. Uh, I didn't <laughs> think of, I, I I'm didn't giggling think because of, like, because like how, how did you, how did like, 20 year old Ben Matlin like oh yeah I can, I can pass I don't I don't look disabled now right right <laughs> until I come to a bump in the road uh, I, I didn't think of that as a you know form of self hatred it was just I don't know it, it, it was the way to operate the only yeah. choice really if you wanted to get anywhere in life or do anything, you, you, you had to follow this. I talk about the book. We had this uh, paradigm. It went back to, I think it went back to President Franklin Roosevelt, who hid his disability as much as possible. You know, you had to, you had to put on a brave face, be, be tough, be, be, uh, resourceful and, and you know and rise all, all above and all that stuff yeah, right. yeah 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 that was the only way people would respect you you know otherwise you're feeling sorry for yourself and all that, all that stuff uh i probably got that from my parents but it was out there in the media whatever that was uh, assumed you know uh i think it's really when you connect to the disability community and first of all, you learn to understand some of these messages that you've internalized that I didn't even realize, you know, people point them out to you, you go, yeah, yeah, I do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think I heard somebody else talk about trying to pass. I think that's where I first got the idea. Even, oh yeah, I'm doing that. Uh, another disabled person. 
Um, and then I found even researching this book, the more I understand what disabled people have done, have always done and continue to do the ways that, you know, that we contribute, have always contributed to, to society, you almost can't help but feel proud, you know? So it, it, it's partly a matter of self-esteem and not feeling ashamed, but I think it's also a big part of it is feeling connected to the, the broad community uh, and understanding that, well, and I don't want to oversimplify or kind of reduce it to... Uh, it's okay. You can reduce whatever you need to. <laughs> but, okay, thank you. Uh, you know, but, but in a way, ableism is 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 about a a system that supposes there is a right way to be, a right way to look, a right way to think and communicate, or maybe a few right ways. You know, there's a little latitude there. <laughs> but basically that anything that varies from that is is a problem, is wrong and needs to be fixed, whatever. Uh, and, and I think when you begin to understand that and the repercussions of that, you say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't buy that. I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay the way I am. Uh, yes. Yeah. Are, I've used the phrase, Disability pride. I, I, there are people who say, "What? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to be proud. How can I be proud of things I can't do?" Well, you may not like aspects of your disability, but you don't have to hate yourself because of them. You know, we yeah. all have aspects of our lives that we don't like. Um, in, in researching this book, I mean, from, the reason we decided to call it just about the pride is that this is a, a theme that runs through the lives of many disabled people. I, I think all of us or most of us are have been on a, a journey, really an ongoing journey to to uh, to understand, to really feel disability pride. Um, I think it's kind of a theme that's uh, often uh, not not explored. And I kind of like it. I like the I like the way you you've put it in the book, and I like the way that it's like the title of the book because it's two words, just like queer cripple. It's two words that are not supposed to go together, mm-hmm. and so when they do, people go, "What is that?" Oh, I better pay attention to it now because it's two words that are not supposed to go together. Mm-hmm. Like this, this overarching belief that if you're disabled, you shouldn't be proud, and so it's kind of like a saying, "I have disability pride." It's kind of like a big fuck you to anybody that's like, 
oh, mm-hmm. you can't be proud of your, of your disability. Without saying, like, fuck you, it's like, no, I am proud. Here's proof. Mm-hmm. And it means different um, things to different people, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's a good, good concept. What is, so other than what it means for you, if, if you were to say to somebody, I have disability pride, and they disagreed, they, they said, oh, no, you shouldn't. What would you say back to them? Screw you, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, if I say I'm proud, don't tell me I should have been. Uh, yeah, we're all entitled to our own opinions. But uh, the more you understand what it means, what disability, the the, the, the you know, as they say, kind of the, the, the role, the contributions uh, throughout history. Uh, yeah, the more the idea of being ashamed of it seems kind of absurd. I mean, you got to have, you got to, the more you know, <laughs> the more you know, the more pride you feel. The minute you said the more you know, all I pictured was like the NBC star going across yeah, right. the street. Um, <laughs> but amazing amazing no you're right I think the more you understand and the more you learn about it and I think the more non, non-disabled people or people who are not disabled yet learn about disability pride it will get, like I was saying earlier it'll give them something to 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 hold on to when disability becomes a part of their story mm-hmm. yeah, it's important yeah. for newly disabled folks too yeah, yeah. It's not People always who, easy. Oh, so, no. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking slog, I know. I I think we've yeah, all been yeah. there and had, and had days where we're like, oh, fuck disability today. Oh, no. Like, you know, even setting up this and even setting up this recording took us like, what? <laughs> past three weeks to get together. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> it is what it is. Um. I like how you talk a lot about disability media representation in the book. Um, and I, I think disability media representation is so important. So I want to know, because you're a, just a touch older than me, I want to know when you were growing up, what media appeals to you as a disabled person? And where do you want to see media go, disabled media go today? Hmm. When I was growing up, we had telethons. Uh, Jerry Lewis, Muscular Dictionary Association telethon. Not a very good uh, no. uh, example. Uh, we, we used to laugh at it, but but then, yeah, I grew up with it. Again, no wonder I wanted to. I wanted to try and pass. Who wants to be a Jerry's kid? You know. Who can't? Can't believe yeah. you did that one. The the only thing I, uh, I hope people know what that is. It's been years, you know, but there used to be a telethon, <laughs> a fundraising charity, to be Jerry Lewis, the comedian, would would bring out these kids in wheelchairs and talk about how terrible their lives were and. They were all going to die unless you sent some money. So, uh, anyway, uh, uh, it was also uh, 
a TV show I, I loved called Ironside, starring Raymond Burr as the uh, police detective in a wheelchair because he'd been, he'd been shot. And it was, you know, extremely unrealistic. But he had a van with a lift. He had a ramp into his office. There were little things, little moments that meant so much to me. You know, to see a guy sitting in a wheelchair bossing everybody around, <laughs> it, I, I know it inspired me. Uh, Maybe bossy, but I know it inspired me. Uh, didn't they try to remake that Ironside show a couple years yes, ago? Didn't they? Did. It was terrible, yeah. They had like <laughs> three episodes and yeah, it. and then they had like that that hot guy Blair Underwood dude, and yeah, was, yeah. I remember watching like even the preview, and I was like, "Oh no, this is horrible! What is it? What? What? Why?" Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I then mean, my, uh, my biggest media representation from when I was growing up, I, I Christopher Reeve was my like because mm. when I was a kid, I didn't know anybody who used a wheelchair like me. Mm-hmm. Really, so I remember, you know, Christopher Reeve was my like. You would have been much older than me at this point, but when I was like mm-hmm. ten, Christopher mm-hmm. Reeve was the, the the key disabled guy that you'd see on right stuff and all the stuff after his accident. And I remember seeing him in his power chair, like doing directing and being in like mm-hmm. indie films and doing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I remember looking at him going, "Well, if he can do that, that's pretty cool." And he was somebody that I like looked up to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, he also put a yeah. lot of effort into finding a cure, and well, anyway, it's another subject for another day. But oh uh, yeah, and then that's the <laughs> whole that's a whole discussion too. But I mean, for me, like for us, I think being born with disabilities for me, anyway, being born as a disabled person, I can't say that I haven't dreamt about having a having a quote unquote cure. Or like what it would be like to walk for a day, but I don't think I push quite as hard for a cure. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you asked about media. That's part of it. Got me writing the book. I mean, there, there were there were you know fashion models with highly visible disabilities. Uh, yeah, he runs Philip and. Julia Mercado stand out, but there are others. The Tony Award. Uh, 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 Ali Stroger. Thank you. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Uh, and uh, the TV show Speechless and Special. And you know, there are others. There are uh, uh, performers, entertainers with highly visible disabilities. <laughs> not trying to pass, you know, being out there and and uh, having disability as part of the kind of multicultural mix. Uh, that that's kind of progress. That's where it ought to go. We need more of that, I think. Uh, you know, whether yeah. it's main characters or in the background. I think so too. I would love to see more just disabled folks in the background who who are not necessarily the main character because I think 
sometimes when you make the disabled person the main character, unfortunately, we're still at a place in media where the main character who's disabled, their story is like tragic and sad and horrible. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I want to watch, I want to see a non-disabled main character with a guy in a wheelchair in the background hanging out, mm-hmm. or just talking to his friends, or just being there. I'm like, that'd be cool too because they exist. They're like, that's okay. Right, right. There are more examples than there used to be, but still, it's uh, it's kind of it's, it's so rare. You gotta go uh, at least I do. Oh look, there's a cripple. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, oh look, one of me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't happen often enough. And I, I mean, if they are if they are a main character, it's still kind of like. Today on a very special episode of this show, we're going to talk about like okay, all yes, right, yes, all right. yes, yes, yes. Um, there, um, there are a few in in Britain. I've been noticing English actors with disabilities who are getting. Yeah, I feel like they do a lot more representation over there than they do in North America. Yeah, they, 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 really... they may be they may be ahead of us in that. Maybe. I yeah, I think I, <laughs> I think. They're ahead. I think they're ahead of us in a lot of ways, and they still have a lot of work to do. Yes, but yes. that's why, that's why they should. Everyone should always hire disabled people for everything because we're the best. Um, here, here, amen. We're <laughs> the best. Period. Preach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things you do in the book really well, and we talked about this earlier. You're not queer. You're a white cis disabled guy. And one of the things you do really well in the book, using, like I said earlier, using your privilege to highlight queer disabled folks. Um, there's so many you talk to in the book, or, or you talk either to or about in the book. Um, and I was like, well, I'm a queer disabled person. And I was wondering, I wanted to give you a chance to just, I like turning the tables on my guests sometimes and letting them ask me questions about my experience. And if you had anything that you wanted to ask. Oh, uh, yeah. No pressure. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really don't. Do I, do I have any questions? Uh, I actually know a lot of <laughs> queer people, so I don't. It's not like, ooh, I finally get to talk to one. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, there is something I guess I could. Uh, but particularly maybe disabled people of color, but, but, which I don't think you are. Uh, but, but, I'm not, but, but thank you for asking. Too. Uh, uh, you, people talk about the, you know, the intersectional oppression, and sometimes I wonder what that feels like. Can you, you know, can people tease apart? Oh, this part of the prejudice is because of my disability, and this part is because I'm queer or you're brown or I mean, is it, or is it just sort of a a big lump, a big wave of of of, of nastiness. Uh, uh, you know, what have your experiences with prejudice? That's a nice, like? juicy question. I like that. Um, 
what what of my experiences of prejudice felt like I think you know it's funny that you mentioned this because I started to go I decided that this would be the summer where Andrew's gonna be a slut um and so I decided mm-hmm. that this summer I was gonna like reclaim my sexuality and you know reconnect with my that part of myself and so I went on the apps to start dating again to start like seeing what mm-hmm. dating was like and I very quickly was like, oh, I want to throw my boat in the river. What? What is this? What is this? Because immediately I was met with, oh, you're in a wheelchair. I'm so sorry that mm. happened to you. Uh, and all those mm. things we talk about all the time. And it's, this is like my, on my second or third chat with somebody. And me just being like, hey, you want to grab a coffee sometime? And then being like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. Yeah, I don't know about that. And so I think the prejudice for me comes from and what what's the hardest is when somebody does something prejudicial or rude or ableist and then follows it up with oh i didn't know i didn't realize any i didn't realize and it's like well okay thank you for telling me you didn't realize but why did i why did you still have to be rude (laughs) like okay why didn't you just say like oh cool don't think we're a match see you later instead of like oh you're in a wheelchair wow so sorry like so for me like Mm -hmm. to answer your larger question um because i'm queer crippled and well i'm also jewish i mean i I have face discrimination on on those fronts Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. so like yeah sometimes you don't know where where it's going to how you have to make you feel And, and for me I do have to wear a lot of hats and dodge a lot of bullets because somebody, somebody might make fun of my disability. Somebody might make fun of my queerness. Somebody might make fun of my, my Jewish identity, mm-hmm. which, which luckily doesn't happen very often in my case, but it has happened before. And you, you often feel like you're in different spaces wherever you are. Like if, I, if I'm in a queer space, I have to be less disabled. And if I'm in a predominantly disabled space, I have to be less queer. And then if I'm in, like, a Jewish space, I have to be less disabled, too, because a lot of Jewish spaces are not fully accessible either. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, you kind of have to carve yourself up into different pieces and know which piece it's safe to use in different spaces, if that makes sense. Right, right, yeah. I think I get that, yeah. Like it's very similar to when you talked about passing, like when you were like, Oh, I can pass it's not disabled. Mm. Like I've done that in many different spaces. In disabled spaces, when I'm talking to a predominantly disabled person that doesn't identify as a queer cripple, uh, I will, you know, I'll lower my voice an octave to make myself sound straighter. I will, you know <laughs> and it's so silly, uh, it's so silly and unnecessary, but you do really like there's a there you really switch your di- your different versions of yourself so yeah. that you can feel safe. It's funny. I yeah. I try to do that all the time too. I'm on the phone. I get called ma'am so often. <laughs> I'm not a ma'am. I'm a man. You know, <laughs> people people and so, misgendering you can happen yeah. even when you're even when you're cis hetero. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty awful. Like, like, I can imagine because of your voice, you've had to like, you've had to manage that a lot, and that can be really frustrating. When you're like, I'm totally speaking in my full volume. Why are you being 
such a dick right now. <laughs> like, what? like I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, yeah. So I think when I think for me, you just really, you really have to compartmentalize different parts of yourself in different communities, and that can be exhausting. Like that's, I find it, I do it, and we, I've got, I do it quite well, and I mastered it now. But it can mm-hmm. be really, you get really tired of doing it a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Um, one of the one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about and that you highlight in the book a little bit um, and I think it's important that we talk about it today because because of COVID and because of the way the world is going so where do you want disability activism and disability justice and disability rights and all the, all the things to go particularly in terms of healthcare disparities because in the book one of the first things you say and one of the first quote, one of the first like quotes that really kind of touched me was that you can live a long life if you're careful and you have supports. And I know how fucking difficult it is to be a careful as a disabled person. Like being careful also often means you can't really do anything or have any adventures, mm, which mm, mm. can be annoying sometimes. And then I also know because I live the experience too. I know what it's like to need support for everything you do in your day. Um, so I guess my question is, does our lack of healthcare support for you as a man in the 60s concern you in 2023? It's a good question. I'm back up for a second. I, I didn't say this. I want to thank you for your last answer. Uh, oh, no. Th- of course. Thank you. I, I, I'm happy to... <laughs> Happy to do it. You know, the healthcare disparities, I could, well, I wrote a whole chapter about it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. You know, I mean, I mean, disabled people not receiving adequate healthcare. Uh, I think we all have experienced that in some way or another. Uh, but the... Uh, the last three years of COVID has really accentuated that a lot. Um, yes, I get uh, what's the word? Angry, frustrated. Uh, you know, why aren't more people still wearing masks? Why do people pretend it, it's all over? Why is it thrown entirely on me to take precautions. If other yeah. people would be more careful, you know, we, we could be more more equal. Uh, I have difficulty wearing a mask. Uh, it's hard enough to breathe without a mask <laughs> for me. So a mask, I, I, it's, uh, I, I do get short of breath. Plus, I now drive my wheelchair with a, a little itty bitty joystick I control with my lips. If I wear a mask, it's very hard to drive. Uh, and uh, my wife has sort of created a, a mask for me that's more flexible. I can drive somewhat better, but it's not exactly a not an N95, they are not the safest mask in the world. 
So this is further limited by mobility out in the world. Uh, you know, we take we take risks when we we take risks all the time. But going out in the world now seems, you know, extra risky. Uh, I have been very isolated for three years now, like a lot of yeah. my fellow Crips, I think. Uh, I'm getting a little tired of it. Uh, and I like how you said, you know, why do you have to be the one to make the concessions? And why do you have to be the one to, obviously you're going to do what you can for yourself and your family, but at some point it's like, fuck everybody. Why can't you wear, what if you're able to, why can't you wear a fucking mask to make yeah. sure that I feel safe? Like I said this three years ago and I'll say it again now. Wearing a mask is a sign of respect. Yeah. Period. Like it's a sign of respect. And if you can't wear a mask, I get it. I understand. And, you know, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had disabled folks coming into my DMs being like, well, I don't see you wearing a mask all the time. And I'd have to be like, yeah, because it's hard for me to get it on. But that mm. doesn't mean that someone else shouldn't. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Especially for those, you know, those for whom it's not that hard to wear a mask, you know? Yeah. For those who can do it, do it. Just uh, do it and just try, like, just try. Because you're giving somebody, if you, but if you wear a mask, you're giving somebody the chance who can't wear a mask like you to go out exactly. and feel safe. And yes. feel like, okay, at least everyone else around me is doing it. So I don't, I'm not as exposed now. Great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I wonder. Because... You're doing masks uh, that are, you have transparent panels for those who uh, are lip readers. Uh, those are more accessible. They're, they're very, uh, I don't see them very often. But that would be a real, you know, you really want to show respect for others. That would be sort of ideal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there are a lot of other ways that healthcare, health uh, concerns. I, I'm I'm just thinking because, you know, as you get older and like. Yeah. As you, as you age, as all of us age, like I'm almost 40, which is, feels weird to say, and I feel so old saying that, but, but <laughs> like, you know, as I get older, I'm, I am worried about the way healthcare for disabled folks hasn't really changed much. Like we're still like, if I go to the hospital, they tend not to know what to do with me. Um, they know oh, yeah, how to give me yeah. basic, basic care, but they have no clue how to support me. And I wish that like, I wish that that there would be policies in place and legislation that would not legislate the attitude, but ensure that as we get older, as disabled people, we have the full support because there's so many people who who are getting older and who are disabled who can't access supports. And for me, as I get older, that's that's it scares me. Wow, you you you. Sparking so many ideas in my head. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, 
I mean, what? Uh, because I, I somehow can't help trying to be optimistic. One good thing that, of course, has come out of the whole COVID thing has been all the, the Zoom stuff. I mean, the virtual doctor visits. Uh, you know, maybe you don't Aren't always they get... great? Those are great. They're great. And maybe you don't always get the sort of the same level of attention if you need to be examined, you need to be examined. But, the, but that's been great. I can, yeah, you know, and I can get doctors to agree to it who would not earlier, even when the technology was available, they wouldn't do it, you know. So that's been great. Uh, there's also, and I, I mentioned this in the book, uh, there, there is a woman, a doctor, I think at Harvard Medical School, who has MS, a wheelchair user, who has studied, really surveyed her fellow doctors and, you know, found it, it's shocking. Uh, they don't know how to deal with disabled people. They have prejudices. Uh, you know, they assume oh, quality of life is substandard, not really worth bothering uh, with uh, caring for disabled folks. Or, or they don't want to make the effort. So they'll, you know, you know, when a disabled patient calls for an appointment, oh, we're too busy, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, it's a complicated process, a, a problem uh, to solve, but it would really help if doctors, you know, in medical school, you know, received some better training, better awareness or familiarity, at least, with disabled folks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about when I think about that, I think about doctors with disabilities. I think about medical schools. All I can think is going back to what we said about the ADA or the ADA. Hire us to go to your to go to your medical school, medical school, and go to your hospital mm -hmm. to train you what to do properly, so you're not an ableist douchebag when I come mm -hmm. into the hospital and need your support. That's literally all you have to do. Hire us and pay us to come in and and do our lived experience thing for you, so that you get the right training, so that you know how to transfer somebody, you know how to help somebody when they really really need you. It's really so simple, and that's I think for me. As a disabled person, that's where I'm most concerned. Is if something mm -hmm. happens to me and I need something, I really got to go to the hospital, I need something, are they going to know what to do or are they going to offer me, you know, in Canada right now, we have something called MAID, which is medical access in dying or medical yes, assistance yes. in dying. That's and another so my, Yeah, I mean, that's a whole podcast by itself. But my worry is that like, Sometimes instead of helping me, they're going to say, well, do you want to just do this instead? And, you know, yeah, it's scary. easier and cheaper for them. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that's where my question came from. Like, where do we go? How do we make them the, the medical system better? And how do we make sure that like also supports PSW care right now? All over, like in every system that I've seen, I've seen it on social media. I've seen it in, in my day-to-day -day care that I receive. PSW care is so broken. The systems that we live in are 
they're trying really hard to make them go, but they're not. They're well, doing their best. Uh, personal support worker. Oh, okay. So like, okay. like yeah, where I rest. live. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say here, here in the U.S. We're all like, ooh, the Canadian healthcare system is so much better. And from what I hear from uh, people there, it's really not true, is it? There's a lot of problems. No. There's a ton of problems, and and I I don't know what your home care system is like, but where I live, the, it's funded by our government, and you know, there's an, it's an, it's an organizational. They figure out who comes. They bring them to you, and they they come in and out of your home. If there's a shortage, there have been days where I can't shower because there's no staff. I can't get out of bed because there's no mm. staff. It doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, you're like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen when they get older and you really need somebody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least that's where my brain would go. Um, right, right, right. But let's shift on to one of my last two questions here for you, Ben. Um, so I love hearing this from people, especially within, within the cryptum community and the disabled community. I want to know from you, Ben, what brings you disability joy? Ah, uh, humor? Uh, uh, A lot of groups uh, have some pretty funny experiences. Maybe I mean, you right? have to, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you maybe sort of afterward you laugh about it, but uh, and it's, it's uh, stuff that we all know or have experienced in some way. Uh, you know, that's uh, it's a good, a good, a good laugh. I think we can can all share uh, other kinds of joy. Well, yeah, well, you know, we talk about it. You know, Al, Ali Stroker wins a Tony. Uh, a lot of us were like, wow, you know, <laughs> like, that could be me. I can't sing, I can't act, but it could be me. Uh, you know, there was joy in, in, in seeing, <sighs> seeing disabled people who are comfortable with themselves, you know, in their own skin. Uh, it's great, you know. I mean, it, it's... Uh, even sometimes, you know, a good blog post, a good podcast, uh, you know... Like, you're, you're like Disability After Dark, the best Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, when you're out there, doing this, it's like, yeah, that's that's great. It's a great community. Uh, great ideas, I was, you know. I was going to ask you about disability grief, but I want to end on a high note. So I'm not going to ask them a part of the question. Um, on my, the last question I have for you, Ben, I love this book and I think it's so important and I'm so proud to know that you wrote it and to know that it's out there in the world. Thank you for putting it out there and doing the work because we need more people doing it. Thank you so much. Um, what do you want, if somebody was to pick it up for the first time and read it, what do you want the reader to take away from this book? What do you want them to understand about this book? 
uh, you know, it depends where you're coming from. But whether disabled or not, or, you know, newly disabled or an old timer like you and me, uh, I, I don't, <laughs> uh, I've been a long, a long, long timer, I should say. Uh, I, I, I hope a reader will gain uh, an understanding and an appreciation for the breadth and depth of the disability community. Um, yeah. I think for me as a disabled reader, I read it and it just kind of reaffirmed all the things I knew already, which I think was great because it reminded me of like, oh, yeah. This is important like, for, I think, as a disabled reader, it's a really good, like, reminder. I think for non-disabled folks, they're going to read Disability Pride and go, I never even knew that. Wow. Or I knew that, but I didn't know as much as I know now. Or I knew that, but I didn't know the kind of, like, the, the lens that I'd be reading it from. I think it, it really gives people some stuff to think about. And one of the things I like to say in the work that I do when I give talks is that, you know, my job is to not give you everything my job is to plant the seeds in your brain and hope that the seeds grow into something on their own and you've planted you've planted like a ton of seeds in this book that really make people think and really make them go oh cool i'll think about that more that's what i'm really glad to hear you say that i'm really glad to hear that you know one thing my editor insisted on and it was a real pain in the ass but everything is uh footnoted so uh, if you anybody wants to explore further, um, where possible, I put you know web uh online access uh, uh your URL so you can look stuff up that way. Uh, for yeah, as you say, for for further exploration. Awesome. Um, well, I there I have run out of all my questions for this amazing book. Where. If the folks want to pick it up, obviously it's available everywhere. But how can they? Obviously, how how can they um get a hold of you? How can they support your work? How do they do all that? Ah, uh, buy lots of copies. Give it to all your friends and your enemies. Uh, and your uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's good. They can learn from it too, and you know. Uh, Talk about it. Post, post uh, uh, blurbs uh, uh, online or wherever. And uh, no, but but I, I have a a little website, just my name, benmatlin.com. dot com. You can contact me through that. Uh, and I and I I, I always uh, I update it with oh new clips uh, podcasts. Like this will be up there. Uh, cool, so, cool. Uh, and like I say, I'm always, always happy to hear from from you know readers. Uh, of course, the uh, nice readers I like more than the, the complainers. But whatever, I'll take it all. And I always try to, I always try to respond. And uh, uh, yeah, so let's. Uh, Let's all get together and educate each other. Let's all talk about disability pride. Dispatches from a post-ADA world. Um, world, right? Yes. Great.
Awesome. So, Ben, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark and having having the chat today with me. Uh, it was so fun. I can't wait to read your next, whatever next book you do. And I I want to be one of the first ones in line to get it because you do amazing work. Oh, thank you very much. My pleasure to be with you. I am, uh, I am honored. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here and shining a light on these stories with me. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can go to www.andrewgerza.com. Anytime, all my links are there. If you want to support the show in any way, we, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and that will give you access to the show one day early, completely ad-free for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. Also, there are yearly amounts available there. So if you wanted to do that, that would be great. If you're able to, I would appreciate it. If you want to be a guest on the show, please email me directly at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com or andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to have you and shine a light on your story. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes and supporting disability content by listening to Disability After Dark. And we will see you for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, Please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.